Hey guys, welcome to the Lane Foundations podcast. This is your co-host, Davis Hambrick. Joining alongside me today is Walker Lott. What's up, Walker? What's up, Davis? You've gotten better at the intros. We've, we've gotten a lot better at the intros from when we first started. Yeah, I'm not stumbling and bumbling and fumbling around, right? <laughs> I'm still mumbling, but not the other stuff. Not bumbling, just mumbling. There you go. <laughs> where you want to be. <laughs> That's right. Right where we need to be. Uh, Today, guys, we have an awesome guest. Uh, he was really, really fun to talk to. Really cool dude. Smart. I mean, I mean just everything he says, really smart and incredible experience. He goes all the way from being a working for his father uh, in a construction company to starting a construction company to starting a real estate firm, investment firm. Now he does uh, real st- a ton of real estate, invests in different projects such as apartment complexes and uh, restaurants. Um, he even says he owns an Ace Hardware. Uh, just all over the place. Uh, really, really entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, I, I, honestly, just a turn, a ton to learn from. I, I'm really excited to listen to it again and get to pick up on the things that I missed. Uh, but his name is Stuart Beal. He owns Beal Capital. So give him a look if you're interested in investing in real estate. Davis, what did you think? Uh, there's two things, Walker. I think one of the the really cool perspectives he he talked about was talking about how you delineate real estate through construction you know as we went to the building science program and where most of the guys graduating all go work for gcs it's we're in that mindset but we know of real estate we know about people right. that do this and we don't really know what is that term because there are people that i know like kind of like Stuart, that run a real estate company but they also you know perform work they have carpenters they do demo and so he delineates that and provides that definition of what real estate and construction is and really in the grand scheme of things real estate is working for yourself while you have the capability of doing construction and i thought that was a really cool way of looking at it because he talks about how at the end which i thought was even cool even better was you know there's a lot of people going to a construction management degree hey that's two of us on this call and he says you know spend spend or stay below your expenses uh save your money Look in, look for places in the in the community that you're in for opportunities to invest. And then if you're an expert at carpentry or if you're an expert at whatever that is, go do it. And that way you can provide a service to that first property that you you, you got to invest in, but also you're getting to learn in the process. And to that, to me, that was that was a really cool thing to those two perspectives and how he defined that was worth the whole podcast in itself. Oh, for sure. I mean, honestly, he is a prime example of if you want to do something, then just go out there and do it. Just figure it out as you go and start something. You know, it, it's really interesting uh, looking at the perspective that he has, you know, because he talked about running a demolition company for a while. And so one of the questions we asked is, would you still do that again? And he said, you know, I would specialize even more so than I did. I'm like, man, that you don't, you don't ever think about it. Most people go the kind of, I want to start this, this and that, but they don't really start thinking about the specialized like a little a niche in the market that they want to go into. Uh, and Stuart's really good about, about finding that and kind of just running with it. Guys, I want you to listen to this. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. Uh, without further ado, Stuart Beal. Welcome to the show, Stuart. Really excited to have you on here. This is going to be an awesome podcast. So just to begin with, we know a little bit about you. You've done some construction in the past and, and do real estate now. And, and you have a, a couple of different companies from what I, what I, what I uh, have seen. So just to start off with, tell us who you are, where you're from, and what do you do? Yeah, hi, my name is Stuart Beal with Beal Properties, and I recently formed a company called Beal Capital to sponsor, uh, sponsor real estate investment opportunities for investors. 
Uh, I come from a construction family and uh, I live in Ypsilanti, Michigan, uh, where we manage 1,000 apartments in the city around Eastern Michigan University. And it's in Washtenaw County, which is near Ann Arbor. So it's a good place to, to do business. And uh, that's what we do right now. Stuart, what did, uh, how did you get into construction? I know your family, you said you have a family background. How did you grow up going on job sites with family? How'd you get involved in that? Yeah. So my grandfather in 1962 bought a construction company, uh, and he renamed it to be called JCBL construction. And from 1962 to uh, 1980, he ran that company. And then in 1980, my father and my uncle joined the company and they did uh, 2,500 construction projects for the University of Michigan oh. over, yeah, over 30 years. Uh, they employed as many as 175 construction tradesmen uh, over the years, uh, they were a union company, then they were a non-union company. Um, and they, uh, really specialized in historic renovation at the university of Michigan, because, uh, you know, the university of Michigan owns hundreds of historic buildings. And, uh, I grew up, uh, going on job sites, but it wasn't like a lot of people in construction where they're, you know, going to a job site, working with their dad. My dad at that point was an executive managing a company with, you know, 175 employees. So yes, I did go to the job sites, but I was working with uh, people that worked for him. You know, I wasn't working side by side with him. He was in the office. Um, Different field. But yeah, the, the first job I ever had uh, was uh, a company uh, built or renovated a pool called the Canham Natatorium at the University of Michigan, and the roof immediately failed. And they hired JCBO Construction to replace the roof on, you know, a, a facility that has several Olympic-sized swimming pools in it. Uh, so it was a huge uh, pool complex. And my first job was uh, every morning I just I took a shot back and sucked up all the water that leaked in <laughs> over the last rain. I did that all summer, basically. Just Grunt work. <laughs> sucked, yeah, sucked up water uh, all over the facility. Uh, because this thing would leak real bad in, in a heavy rain. It would take multiple yeah. days to track down where all the water was. So that was my first job on a construction site. And uh, growing up, uh, I had a lawn care and landscaping business. Where I wasn't doing that, I, I would work uh, on a job site. And mostly uh, I would go to a job site that was in biking distance of my house. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was real lucky in that way where I was growing up amongst the job sites. So I could bike to a job site and I would just clean up the job site for a couple of hours, you know, after school. Yeah. Can, can you unpack that? I mean, I think that's an amazing opportunity as a kid to be thinking that your, your family's getting to renovate historic, iconic places of Michigan. I, you know, I've never even been to the university, but I know about the, the, the landscape of Michigan. What was that like? Do you ever think you might, you know, as a kid, maybe taking that for granted of, wow, these are the, I'm a part of the Michigan legacy. I mean, to me, that just blows my mind. Yeah. So I never really thought about it that way. Uh, just growing up in Ann Arbor, it's all university of Michigan, university of Michigan. I didn't view myself as uh, special or unique in that way. I mean, a lot of, a lot of my friends' parents, instead of renovating buildings at university of Michigan, 
they were professors at University of Michigan, or they were doctors at University of Michigan. So, I mean, you know, pretty much everybody I knew had a family member that worked at the University of Michigan. Um, so I, I didn't think I was unique and special in that way, but it is very cool to drive around in Arbor and say, I worked at that building. I worked at that building. I worked at that building. Um, my family also uh, built probably about 30 restaurants in Ann Arbor um, as well. So, you know, we go to eat at the restaurants that we, that we worked at. And I tell funny stories about, you know, I used to work here at, uh, you know, two in the morning, you know, cause when you're renovating a restaurant, you got to work at night a lot of the time. And so right. I've got, you know, good stories about buildings around town. It's definitely something to be uh, proud of. Um, you know, again, like, in addition to the 2,500 projects I did for the University of Michigan, they probably did another 2,500 2, projects around town. So, um, yeah. And, and, the, and there's a couple buildings that my uncle always says, like, well, we renovated that three times, um, you know, wow. because uh, it was this restaurant, then we turned it into this restaurant, then we turned it into this restaurant. Um, and, you know, so it's kind of like a long, long thing. And J.C. Beal, a couple of years ago, had their 50-year anniversary. And... Uh, yeah, it's definitely something to be proud of for sure. Okay, I was about to ask. You answered it for me if they were still operating and, and doing construction projects up there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my uncle retired, and uh, my father uh, downsized the business. He de-risked the business. Okay. General contracting, when you have 150 employees, is an extremely risky business. Yeah. And uh, as he moves towards retirement, uh, he downsized the business quite a bit. And so um, he basically uh does a project a big project here or there but he works full-time for uh the illiches who own little caesar's pizza and the detroit tigers gotcha. uh, and red wings um and they own about 50 buildings uh in detroit and they um my father works for them pretty much full-time uh, maintaining those buildings so how did you when did you start making this transition from construction related work and getting into real estate yeah so i i i started my uh, first lawn care landscaping company when i was 13 and i grew that to be uh 250 customers um and well actually about 400 customers wow and when i was uh when i was 19 it was a big business i had trucks and uh vehicles and we had 400 customers around ann arbor and I wanted to go to the University of Colorado. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I took on a partner and then I sold the business to that partner. And I got uh, $250,000. It was uh, 50,000 down plus 1,500 a month for 10 years was the deal I struck with my partner. Plus I said, if I bought any real estate, she would have to mow the lawns uh, for, for a period of time for free. And so, um, when I was 19, uh, I hadn't yet started a construction company, but I knew a little bit of, about, about it. And so I bought my first property when I was 19, I bought a five unit apartment com apartment building in Ypsilanti, Michigan, where Eastern Michigan university is. And I, uh, had, I became homesick. So I, I left the university of Colorado and I enrolled at Eastern and that's why I was in at Eastern. And that's why I bought that building. Okay. Um, and then the next, the next building, uh, I bought, I bought a, uh, three-story, 
a 5,000 square foot commercial building downtown that was connected to four other buildings. And I partnered up with those owners and we, we, we all ponied up our real estate and we turned it into one project. And JC Beal Construction, my father's construction company, did the renovations, about a $3 million renovation. And so uh, I was the superintendent on that project. So I worked on that project every day uh, for nine months. That's the only project I've ever been a superintendent. Yeah. And I learned quickly I didn't want to be a superintendent because uh, when you're a superintendent on a, on a construction site of that size, you're, you're basically just babysitting subcontractors who are very uncooperative. And, uh, you know, it, it, the project was of a, of a size that these subcontracts are not there every day. So, like, they're going to be there on Tuesday, but then they're not there on Tuesday. Well, are you going to be here on Wednesday? Yes, I'll be there by one. Like, hey, it's one. Where are you? Oh, something happened. I'll be there on Thursday. I'm like, no, you got to be here today because tomorrow this has got to happen. And, you know, so it was a really great learning experience. And I just found it, it wasn't, wasn't for me. So that, that's the only time I uh, have been a like full-time superintendent. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why I value superintendents so much is that they have a very hard job. <laughs> well, Davis, Davis can speak on that because he's a superintendent for Brassville and Gory. So he, okay. he deals with that every day. He knows exactly what you're talking about. Right. I'm not, right. Not, not quite there, but uh, almost he's kind of there. Yeah, I got a few years till I get there, but I understand. Whenever you started saying that, I was like, okay, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> right, right, right. I think it's funny yeah, the so- different sizes you're talking about because I know on like he's on a large project. He's on a a a, a, a courthouse down there in, in in New Orleans, and so like the the scale is definitely different because that's like an everyday type of project. You have to be there, and you know you have a schedule to come into, but what you're talking about it's kind of a smaller project where it's like well we have a project over here that we got to go to but then we have yours as well and so it's kind of like just hopping from job to job and it's just frustrating at times yeah so jumping back in uh so when i was 19 i bought my first uh piece of real estate and uh i i used up all the cash that i had and so i realized that i would need to uh, make additional money in order to continue to invest in real estate and i just done that superintendent uh gig which i you know, didn't enjoy as much as I, I thought I would. So I started a demolition contracting business in 2006. Wow. And demolition contracting uh, is a, is a, is great work. It's, there's a ton of work. It's unlimited work basically. And it was work that I knew how to do personally because I had worked for my father's company. And so it like was well suited for me in the beginning. And I grew that business from 2006 to 2016 from sales in the first year of like 110,000 to doing about $10 million a year worth of demolition work. And we employed as many as a hundred and I think the, I think the busiest day ever was we had 196 uh, demolition laborers working for us. And we were doing work, work in seven States. I owned three or four excavators I had four or five project managers, four or five estimators. So it was a, it was a pretty big, robust business. And we specialized in uh, schools. Uh, Schools have unlimited money basically because they do bond issues and they're always renovating their buildings. So, you know, doing demolition in schools was a big business. And then we also did work at universities, hospitals. Uh, You know, we'd even do work in people's private homes if they needed some demolition done. Yeah. Um, and demolition 
uh, I, I thought was a, a good business through the recession because there was unlimited labor uh, available. Anyone within a matter of a day or two, I can turn into a pretty decent demolition labor if they want to work hard. And so we didn't have like huge skill shortages all the time. You know, we could, we could uh, train people in. And then of course we did very complex demolition as well that did require extremely skilled people. And so we went out and got those guys, uh, okay. excavator, okay. excavator operators, uh, saw, you know, electric saw, gas powered concrete saw cutting uh, guys. Yeah. And we did some, you know, small projects and we did some huge projects. We had one project where we had uh, 85 guys work for six months straight, wow. you know, uh, on a demolition project. Yeah gutting a 36 story building in downtown detroit that's crazy did y'all did y'all ever do any type of implosions or was it just strictly excavator and, and that type of work to to demo them yeah 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 never did anything like that that's that, that's crazy that's that, yeah that's beyond me uh the biggest the biggest uh craziest project is is uh i wrecked a whole high school once oh dang um and so it was like it was like a high school for a thousand students i mean this thing kept going and going and going yeah and uh so we wrecked a, a whole high school and we didn't have enough excavators to do it in a timely fashion so um we had three of our excavators there and then i subcontracted out uh guys who owned excavators uh paid them an hourly rate for their man and their machine and they worked under our supervision we had as many as seven excavators wrecking that thing at that one point crazy so it let, let me ask you this so now kind of have, have doing that if you had to go back and start another company would you start another demolition business or is there another type of construction company that you would be interested in starting instead yeah see now i'd go the opposite now i'd go the opposite uh i i would create uh a highly specialized company okay uh i would do like an elevator company or a big really? mechanic big mechanical company or something like that because the the problem I had with demolition uh, is anybody can do demolition, right? So your your uh, your a lot of barriers barriers to entry are are pretty low for demolition companies, um, and also like you know it was just hard to make money uh, doing demolition. Um, you know, we didn't charge enough for project management. We really couldn't. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, that, that's why I always wanted to think about starting an elevator company. I mean, when you see the bills from these elevator companies, <laughs> you'll, you'll know why, but, yeah, um, it, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I would, I would start over with doing something highly specialized. Now, of course I'm not qualified to do that, so I wouldn't do it at all. But if I was going to, right. You know, I would, I would, I would partner with someone or train, get trained in, in some highly specialized, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Stuart, I keep hearing the, the word, you know, I went and did this project and I partnered with them and I went to this project and partnered That's with them. Cool. You have to have a, at least from my perspective of me just listening to you, you have to be just a little people savvy or just you're, you're willing to go, okay, I'm going to go partner with them and figure this out. I'm willing to go partner with them. And I don't know that really that speaks of the entre entrepreneur spirit. Tell us a little bit about that, because I know that's one of the things on, on your website I was looking at. You got real estate construction, you have entrepreneur. What is that entrepreneur uh, ship in you? And like, where did that come from? Is that coming from, you know, going to job sites and your dad was the executive and getting to see a higher level uh, of construction? Yeah, so uh, I come from a, a privileged 
uh, background. Uh, my my father was a, a contractor and my mother was actually a lawyer and she ran her own practice for a long time. So they they encouraged me uh, in entrepreneurship. But even, you know, I did come, while I did come from a privileged background, I consider myself uh, pretty much self-made because uh, they didn't, you know, give me money and, and, and things like that. But they did give me tons of resources and and. Uh, you know, again, a very privileged background. And one of the privileges I had was my father's construction company subscribed to about six different business magazines. So from the age, my dad would bring them home. So from the age of like eight or nine, when I started to be able to read, you know, proficiently through uh, when I graduated high school, I probably read, it's hard to put a number on it, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of uh, business articles. yeah. So like, just think like every month, you know, a ma- like six different magazines would come home. I'd read every article in every one. Um, and so I probably read hundreds of thousands of articles. And then I got uh, into real estate investment books and, you know, people all the time say, how did you make your first real estate investment? And I, I literally say, well, it's like going to school, you read this book and then you go implement the strategies that you've read about in this book. Mm-hmm. Now you don't have the hands-on, so you're going to make mistakes for sure. But you, you know these books give you a pretty decent foundation um, of how to do it. And so I read again hundreds of thousands of business articles, and then you know fifty books about entrepreneurship and real estate. And that that really got me into the entrepreneurial uh, spirit, along with just seeing my family, you know, work hard and and be successful. And and that's kind of how uh, I went about it. Yeah. That's how I did it. Are you still an avid reader now, even yeah. even after you've started all these different companies and growing and learning? Yeah, I would say that uh, I have three daughters now. So I have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a, a three-year-old. And so uh, the time the time for thank you and the time for reading, uh, I, don't have, I don't have enough time for, for reading for sure. Right now I work and then I and then I hang out with them and then I work and then I go to sleep. You know, that's what I do right now. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Life of a dad. but I do subscribe to, um, Bloomberg.com okay. and the New York times.com. And I have the apps on my phone. So I read, uh, a couple business articles a day for sure. Yeah. Um, but the time to, to sit down and read a, you know, 300 page book, you know, it's not in the cards right now, but, um, I should do more of it because I, I really enjoy it and it's, it's really, uh, beneficial. A lot, a lot of the real estate books are a little too basic for me now, though, yeah. you know, it'd be kind of weird. It'd be kind of weird to, 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 to go pick up a new, how to buy an apartment building yeah. book, you know, cause it, you know, there's only so many ways to do it. And I've, you know, I kind of done that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, I need to, I probably need to spend more time on uh, uh, reading HR books and how okay. to attract good people and retain good people because I've always um, struggled in uh, keeping you know good people. Um, you know, sometimes I'll lose a staff member and say, "Man, I could have done more. I should have yeah. done that. Should have done that." You know, surprised. I should probably spend more time reading about that than you know how to buy an apartment building. Have you heard of the book Who W H O before? No, but tell me about it. That one's supposed to be good. I haven't read it. I know someone who runs a medical real estate firm. And so he recommended that to me uh, for people wise. It's supposed to go in depth about 
basically what you're talking about, how to keep, how to find, how to retain really great people within your organization uh, and just kind of yeah. grow them from there. So I, I have it on my bookshelf. I actually just packed it up. I'm, I'm moving on Wednesday, uh, but it's supposed to be really good. And so I'd, I'd recommend that one, even though I haven't read it, but you can look into it. So maybe, do a, blink, maybe do a Blinkist or something like that. Just a quick 15 yeah. look over it. So yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Davis, I'm sorry to butt in. I, I, I'm curious about the real estate because I, I love real estate as well. No, I mentioned that when I reached out to you. It's it's awesome, you know. And I, I think I kind of see exactly what you see when you do it. Just endless possibilities, you know. But when you when you picked up your first real estate book or just really started getting into it, kind of what I mean, what was your thought process in that? It's like, man, I, this just this just makes sense. Like I could definitely see myself doing it, you know. And then yeah. just you just take off from there. It is what it sounds like. Yeah. So the, uh, the, the, a couple of things, like first we live in a very, uh, like physical world where you can see the real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that always attracted me more than buying stocks that or in companies I know nothing about or touch and feel, um, you know, like, like buying stocks in Starbucks, for instance, I've never really been to Starbucks. Like, you know, just, it's not as attractive to me in giving money to someone else and let them doing their thing. Like if, like you would, if, if you were buying uh, stocks in Starbucks. So it just, it made more sense to invest in something you can see, touch, feel, improve, work on with your own hands um, better. You know, uh, every morning I have, you know, a hundred properties I could go work on to make them better. Um, and, uh, and so that's what I do. I mean, I was working on this property this morning. I was working on that one this afternoon, um, you know, helping people, helping the property managers. So it's a lot different than, you know, trading currencies or investing in internet stocks or something like that. So that, that was the first thing that's very, you know, in a physical world. And then the second one is, you know, by reading about business, you quickly learn that investing in real estate, uh, is probably the number one long-term foundation for wealth in this country obviously that's become less true because of tech tech stocks in the last 20 years but definitely when i started reading about it this was again before 2001 uh you know before a lot of this stuff existed so just real estate was definitely the way uh to to do it um and uh you know it just it just makes sense buy a building it's going to go up in value while you're paying down the loan. I mean, the gap, the gap increases every day you own the property. So it just, it just made a lot of sense. I, I, you know, Stuart, I have a question about, you know, we've talked about real estate and we talked about construction and, you know, this podcast is one of the things we wanted to address was the construction industry is so big that there's different segments of construction. So real estate being a part of that real estate being a part of Walker and I, are really looking into maybe in the future wanting to get involved in real estate. But for people that don't know, since you're in this market now in, in both terms, how do you define that line of real estate construction? Like for me still, it's like a very fine line of, okay, you buy the property, but then you need someone to, to maybe renovate it. And then you got to go back and someone has to have a um, the project manager and wh- what side is that on? So how do you delineate the line between real estate and construction? Yeah, it's really easy. So I own a real estate company, but in, in essence, it is a construction company. I employ 62 okay. people today uh, and 
40 of them were involved in construction today. Uh, and the, the, the delineation is in real estate, you don't work on anyone's properties unless you own them or you have a management contract to manage them. So I constantly, constantly get people saying, hey, Stuart, I saw your company doing this. I saw your company doing that. I saw this that you did on Facebook. Can you come and do that at my house or do that at my building? And I say, no, I can't because I'm not a construction company. I'm a real estate company. Uh, we only work on properties where uh, we own them or we manage them for a fee. And the reason I, the reason I say that is because um, you, you, you only have so many resources and let's say you spend a year working on a property you don't own and you earn a hundred thousand dollars as a construction management fee. Well, you could have worked that same year on a property you owned and not only saved yourself a hundred grand because you did the work yourself or whatever, but now you've tripled the value of the property and you've, and you've, you know, hit a triple, a triple, uh, a whammy, so to speak, in that you've uh, improved the property you own and did the work, did the work yourself. And then the same thing with, you know, I do manage properties for other people and uh, we do work for them and we earn a fee, a management fee uh, to do that. And the work, the construction we work, we do leads to more fees, leads to more leasing. And so that you get, you get like a, a ball rolling downhill type uh, momentum when you're working on properties uh, that you own. And that's the number one problem uh, in, in the construction industry is you're always working on properties that other people own, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, you get paid a fair wage. I mean, I made, I made a decent salary in my years in construction, but I didn't create uh you know, generational, generational wealth for my family, uh, by, by doing construction work for other, for other people. I mean, you know, no one who's doing construction work for the Illiches who own the Detroit Tigers are going to become the Illiches. They're going to be paid, you know, well, of course, but, um, you know, so that, so that's what I did is anytime I ever worked for somebody else, any money I made, I would invest in real estate so that eventually I wouldn't work for, for other you know other people basically right and really it, what it sounds like to me but by the way you answered that you know that was a great perspective that's to me that's the okay, best that i've fantastic. heard that answer to where i'm easily being able to, to define it recognize what you're saying but um what i was going to say was you know it's really just like what any good businessman does he goes and hires the people around them to get the ball rolling he's still the one that is okay i'm gonna we're leading the team but i'm hiring the best people Real estate, like you said, you can be the person performing the construction and save you money in the long term because you own the property. Yeah, yep. And and uh, today uh, we have, we put sixty two people to work. About forty were involved in construction. So we had uh, two men converting a two bedroom house into a three bedroom house by uh, uh, turning the garage into a third bedroom. There's another garage on the property, so that that made sense. That allowed us to increase the rent from uh, 600 a month when we bought the property to 1600 a month, uh, just wow. just by converting this uh, garage. It's, it was a small two bedroom. Now it's a big three bedroom, um, and so uh, you know I had two men working there today. So that was a construction project I was working on today. 
then a property I bought in Dundee, Michigan. Uh, it just so happens uh, that uh, five tenants moved out today and we've got uh, three tenants moving in to those apartments on Saturday and then two we still need to lease. But five apartments uh, vacated on the same day. So I sent six guys there, uh, three skilled guys and three laborers. And, you know, they tore out the carpet in two of the apartments. They uh, doing the miscellaneous, miscellaneous, miscellaneous maintenance or cleaning, you know, so it is a, it's, it's a constant, you know, right. recreation business, except you're doing it for yourself. So not only are you rewarded in the, the construction, you're rewarded on the leasing and the, the equity that you have invested and all the other benefits of uh, real estate. And, you know, I could be doing that you know, I could be doing the same thing in, in other people's properties, but it's, it's not the long-term, you know, not again, worth your time. Yeah. Generational wealth uh, creation to do that. Yeah. I, you know, I see the common thread with, with most entrepreneurs is one, they're just not afraid to go out there and try it and just do it, figure it out as you go. And that's kind of something that we adopted for this podcast. Cause we, you know, when we first started this 25 episodes ago, we had no idea what we we're doing. You just kind of figure it out as you go, but, and you learn, you know, as you do it. And so one question I have for you is that you've done, I don't know how many deals you've done, but you've done a lot by the sound of it, you know, hundreds probably. And so what is one of the deals that kind of stands out in your mind that you learned the most on maybe one that you made the biggest mistake on, but in, as a result from that, you learn exponentially more than you could have just by doing smaller deals or doing something else. Yeah. So I've done, I've done over 300 real estate uh, wow. transactions. Awesome. Um, and uh, excuse me, I've, I've actually acquired more than 300 properties. I've also, I've, I've done probably 400 now because we've sold some properties. Um, and uh, we, we've hit massive grand slams. So in 2018, I bought a 468 unit apartment complex, Dang. the biggest, the biggest property you could ever imagine. We paid uh, 21 million for it. And then two years later, we sold, uh, we sold it for 31 million. Um, so we used 5 million in equity, and then turned that into 15 million in equity in, in just two years. So that that's an example of a you know, epic once in a lifetime, uh, grand slam. Uh, then, then I've had many, many home runs, many, many triples, many, many doubles. And then we've got plenty of properties where, uh, you buy it and it performs. Okay. Yeah. And you know, you still own it. Maybe you hold on to it cause you hope it's going to improve in the future or, or something like that. So we've got plenty of those deals too. Uh, done some deals. When I say we, I use we a lot because I've always got partners and investors and employees and stuff, but we've done some deals that uh, have lost uh, a little bit of money uh, where we just couldn't, it just didn't go as planned, you know? Yeah. And we just said, let's, let's sell it and see if someone else can do better with it. And then we can return. Uh, we can get the money that we use to buy the property. We can buy a property that hopefully will be a, a better uh, project. But the, the worst project that I've ever been involved in, and really the only way to lose a ton of money in real estate is to not have your building uh, properly insured. Um, and insurance in my business is a full-time job. Uh, and it's, it's quite easy to um, intentionally or unintentionally have your building either with no insurance on it or... Um, uh, 
have it underinsured so that if an event ha- happens, you're uh, screwed. And so, you know, the worst property, the worst deal I was ever involved in, uh, I didn't have the building properly insured. It was a vacant building. The quotes were super insane. And I, I was going to occupy it soon. So I just didn't have insurance on it for a period of time. And of course, that's the building where an arson came in and, and burned it, you know, burned it to the ground. And we lost, uh, we lost big, big on that one. And then uh, we have also had buildings overinsured and they burn to the ground and you make a ton of money on them. Um, and so the, the number one thing I tell people is uh, make sure your building is properly insured uh, by working with an insurance expert or insurance experts that tell you not only, hey, the insurance is 500 a month, but okay, this insurance is 500 a month. And if this happens, this is what will happen. Or you can buy insurance for a thousand a month. And if this happens, this will happen. And then you can make some intelligent decisions about, okay, if this burns to the ground, you know, what, what do I want to happen? I want it, do I want enough money just to pay off my loan and I lose my equity? Or do I want enough money where I get my loan and my equity back? You know, so there's it's a lot to consider there, but uh, that's that's really the only way to lose a ton of money in real estate is to is to screw up the insurance. And one time I did; it was very painful, and I learned from it. Now, now I spend just an incredible amount of time on insurance. I believe it. I mean, I'll, that will, something burning it will definitely make you change the way you think about a lot of things. That's crazy. So, one follow up question to that, you know, for those who are listening who might be interested in in real estate or want insurance on a building that they have or, you know, et cetera. What, in your opinion, because I'm sure you work with a lot of them now is what it sounds like separates a good insurance agent from, from a not so good insurance agent. Kind of what is a differentiator? Like who would you work with versus who would you not work with? And what do you look for in it? Yeah. So the, the number one thing is uh, responsiveness and response response time. Uh, so I buy, I buy two properties a month on average and I'm looking at, 20 properties at least a month on average. And I want to, before I enter into a purchase agreement, I want to know approximately what it's going to cost to insure the building. So I need someone who's constantly available to quote uh, insurance. And I don't need them to spend 10 hours figuring it out. I need them to spend a half an hour getting a, an approximate approximation so that once we enter into a contract, then we can go out and get, you know, much more, uh, specific bids for the insurance. So number one is response time. And number two is someone who's going to really look out for you and understand what you have and what you're insuring. So as an example, I'm working with this new guy. He's 24 years old. His name's Calvin. And we put, uh, we bought a 37 unit uh, apartment complex, but it also had a, a big garage next to it. And so I rented it to a, an auto car club, like a high-end auto car club where this guy stores luxury cars and he has like events and people come and look at the cars and stuff. And so Calvin put the insurance on the property, but then like three weeks later, he was like, Hey Stuart, uh, what happens if this happens and this happens and, and this happens to his cars and he sues you and, you know, we should put this additional coverage in place. It only costs, you know, $71 a month to like really protect you from all these different things that I'm thinking about. And I was like, wow, that's, that guy's going above and beyond. Cause like normally an insurance guy will buy in the policy and you'll never hear from him ever again, you know? Right. So I thought that was pretty good. That's crazy. I mean, I like the response. I, I think that applies to honestly, 
most companies as well. I've heard a lot of people talk about subcontractor companies. They're like, it's, it's pretty easy to have a really good subcontractor company or any company in general, as long as you just answer your phone. Right. You know? And I feel like uh, that's most people. And most people you call, I know when I was working for some GCs and I'd have to cold call people for them to do different things. And it, it, half the people wouldn't answer their phone. So I'm like, well, they're either not going to get the, the business anymore. They're not going to get the job. Or, you know, I know that like they don't really care as much because every time I called them, they don't answer their phone. Well, that that's, that's kind of the weird thing. So in Michigan, the last month it's been raining really really hard and so we've got some leaks some roof leaks and the companies we've been using are really busy so one day I went on line and I went to four different roof 14 14 different roofing companies websites and entered the contact us form and only one out of 14 companies ever responded that's crazy yeah and so so what I'm saying is is like why don't why don't you just take the time to respond saying I'm not available because right. even that, even that is above and beyond customer service. Okay. So let's say you've got a contact form on your website or you've got a phone, you just update your voicemail to say, hi, this is ABC roofing company. Like many roofing companies in the area, uh, we've been inundated with new customers. We're not accepting new customers right now. Uh, please leave your name and email and I'll put you in my database and I'll let you know when I'm accepting new customers again, you know, that sort of thing. And then, and then I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Not going to talk, not going to talk smack about that company. Um, and the same thing with the email uh, contact forms, you can just set it up automatically where it bounces back saying, you know, I'm only accepting this type of customer. I'm, all, I'm not accepting new customers. You know, it was so weird, but guess what? The one company that responded they came out, they came out and they had technology that allowed them to quote the job while on site. So before he had left, before he had left, I'd even hired him. I'd already hired him. You know, he gave a good quote. So. Well, let's shift here, Stuart. I have a, I'm big on the relationship side and I'm still just fascinated. You know, you talked about growing up, uh, going with your dad and, and your family and their family owned business to, to you being in real estate and doing project management, construction, owning a demo company, to being partners with all these different people. We're going to go back to the partners thing. You know, walk us through what is that like? What is that like going to someone? Maybe, you know, I don't, I don't even know. Are you friends with them? You don't know them. You're just interested. What is it like going to someone and asking them, hey, basically, I want you to be my partner? What, what are the feelings behind that? How do you go through that? What is that? What is that like? Yeah. So, uh, the first, the first thing I do when I meet someone I'm going to do business with is explain to them that we're probably going to do business my way. Um, and we're, and if you're going to be my partner, but you're going to be investing in a mostly passive real estate investment, you know, you need, you need to understand that you're signing up to be a partner with me and I'm very unique. I work very hard, very fast. Um, but, you know, it, let, let's say you guys on this, on this Zoom are going to invest in a, a four-unit rental property with me in Ypsilanti, and I've done a hundred of them, and I, you know, live and breathe them and, and sleep and dream about them, you know, and you're going to be my partner. We're not going to have a conversation about if we're going to rent this unit for 900 or 950. We're just going to rent it for what I think we should rent it for, even though you're my partner. Um, and so it, it, that, that's kind of how 
we do passive investment partnerships is yes, you are a partner and you get the benefits of the partnership, but you are investing in, you know, a well-oiled machine that's going to kind of run, run the show. Um, but in, in the opposite way, uh, I, I own, uh, I own an Ace Hardware uh, in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I don't, I don't say anything to the people that run that business. I'm a, I'm a silent partner and Sure, I do make a few suggestions, um, but I let the the people that have the retail experience run that business because I don't have any retail experience. I'm also a partner in a real in a, an insurance company, um, and I I invested my money. I help the business out in a couple different capacities, but the the people that are experts in insurance run that uh, business. I'm also a partner in a a, a landscaping company, um, and uh, I definitely help out that business on a maybe a weekly basis, not, not a daily basis. And, and the guys that uh, are the experts at this point in landscaping uh, run that business. So uh, that, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is you, uh, you have to find people that are enjoyable to work with because the second someone becomes not enjoyable to work with, you should uh, wrap up that partnership. Don't drag it on. Um, there's, there's no reason to be in business with someone that you don't enjoy working with. When you, when you see his phone call, ringing on your phone and you're like oh that that means you just wrap it up and people get yeah. so people get so afraid of wrapping up business partnerships it's just money it's just simple if you guys can't agree to it just hire a third party uh, arbitrator to settle it out and get be done with it um and i and i've let i've let some drag on a little too long before um and, uh, and, and also there's ways to get into a partnership that just spell out the ways you're going to dissolve it. If you don't, if you want to, there's uh, like buyout provisions and stuff mm -hmm. like that to so just be smart about it going in. That's really cool. I mean, honestly, I, I wrote, I wrote down, I wrote that up into basically trust the people that you invest with to know that they know what they're doing. And then two right. is just enjoy, enjoy the people, you know, and it's like right. those two things are, are pretty simple. And you don't really think about that a lot. I've never, I've never heard that before from anyone. You're the first person I've ever heard say that. So I thought that was, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. But sure, I, you know, we're getting short on time. And uh, like I said, we want to value your time and let you go play with your, your daughters and enjoy family time. But uh, we have one question that we like to ask all our guests. Uh, and so basically it's, you know, you, you have, done a lot in your life you very much have taken advantage of every resource and every opportunity it seems like getting to hear hear you speak this short time you know so kind of knowing what you know now what advice would you give to your 20 year old self if you could go back in time and and, and tell you tell yourself something yeah so i i would say uh focus even more on real estate uh so i probably spent you know ten thousand hours running my construction company uh, for, you know, for 10 years, I was in real estate, but I, you know, I spent most of my time on construction for a long time. And I know this is a construction podcast, but, uh, I would say spend more time on, uh, real estate, spend less time working for other people, spend time, more time working for yourself. Um, and that, that's really what I would advise people. So if you're, if you're graduating from college with a construction management degree, that's a very uh, honorable profession, profession, and I wish you luck. And go work for a big construction company and learn a lot. But keep your living expenses low, save up money, and start investing in real estate. And invest in projects where your construction training can give you a, a, 
an extraordinary return. So let's say you are an expert in carpentry. Well, buy a property that needs a bunch of carpentry and go do it, you know, or, uh, you know, needs, it needs uh, all new mechanical systems. So you say, okay, I'm the mechanical expert. I've got a mechanical engineering degree. I'm going to buy this property. I'm going to fix that problem. So not only am I going to be paid to fix the problem, I'm going to, I'm going to own the real estate. Um, and that's what I uh, would definitely go back in time and, and say, you know, focus uh, even more on real estate. That's great advice. Thank you so much, man. We seriously, we really appreciate you being willing to take the time and come on here and, and just share a little bit about your, your wisdom and knowledge from your years of experience. Uh, thank you. Again, thank you so much. We, we really enjoyed it. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for your support. And we really appreciate all of your love uh, and reaching out to us and any questions that you have. Davis is going to fill you in on a little bit more about how you can get in touch with us. Thanks, Walker. Guys, the main reason we want to get our information out is because we believe in relationships and we love the feedback that you guys give us. So our email is contact at laying-foundations.com. One more time, contact at laying-foundations.com. Um, we also have been working on getting our social media accounts up. So we're finally on, we have a LinkedIn page. We have an Instagram page. We're on TikTok trying to attract um, the younger generation into construction. And also we have a website coming up soon. So all these things are on our show notes in the podcast. So just look each week. Um, if you guys want to know how to contact us, what we're on, and then Walker and I have our own LinkedIn page. Just feel free to reach us, at, reach out to us on our email or LinkedIn, however you want to get a hold of us. But like Walker said, we appreciate everything. We appreciate you guys being willing to reach out and give us feedback. Um, we hope that this podcast is adding value to your lives. Thanks for tuning in to the Lane Foundation Podcast.